excited for our conversation today. We're going to be talking with a group from Keynote Music Therapy, and I think we're going to learn a lot from that. But before I get started, we always get new listeners, and so I'd just like to tell you a little bit about us. Uh, Bottom line, Alzheimer's Speaks was created because my mom lived with dementia for 30 years, and I got really frustrated trying to find resources, tips, and tools I thought there had to be other people in the world going through what our family was going through. And oh my gosh, are there people um, willing to share great information? And that's what we've been doing for almost 10 years now on Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. Uh, We understand the frustrations, the joys, the depressions, the the overwhelmingness, the exhaustion sometimes that can that can happen. But we want to we want to give you hope. And let you know that there's a really cool side to this disease that can make your relationships much more authentic. And there are um, great tools and resources out there, plus research, and we we cover it all. So um, subscribe to our show and feel free to pass it on. It's all free information. And for those of you that are in business and target this market, I'd love to talk to you about expanding your brand footprint. We can easily help you with that as well through our multimedia sources. And to our listeners, oh my gosh, you guys have spread the word of our work all around the world, and I can't thank you enough. So keep up your likes, your clicks, and your shares, because it really is helping people um, find information that's difficult to find. And, um, and they're hearing from actual people who are in the trenches with this. Now, before I introduce our guests, I'm just going to give a shout out to Gable Pines. I'm excited. I'm going to be out there Thursday morning, uh, January 30th from 7.30 to um, about 9.30, doing a program on why families act the way they do. And it's about dementia realities, perceptions, and stigmas. And I think sometimes... Uh, staff and families both judge each other without really knowing what's going on on the other side. And so uh, this will jump into that and also give you tips and tools to work together better and uh, for both of you, both sides, to be able to understand some of the trigger points that people with dementia have and and how we can allow them to live a better life by um, supporting what their needs are and helping them adapt I will also be doing a webinar, same day, um, Thursday, uh, January 30th at 3 p.m. Eastern with the Greenhouse Project. And that uh, webinar is called From Crisis to Comfort, Shifting Dementia Care by Giving All Voice. And on that one, we're going to be talking about stress triggers and how to reduce unwanted behaviors and increase moments of joy the role of family caregiving and how that has changed and and why our roles are changing and how they are perceived. And you can go to alzheimerspeaks.com and get connection information for 
for both of these uh, these programs. And then, of course, I want to give a shout out to the Memory Cafe directory. Uh, there you can find out if there's a memory cafe in your area or maybe you have one and you want to get listed, they won't charge you to be in there. So reach out to memory cafe directory for more information. Those are gatherings for people with dementia and their care partners. And then I adore Stallcatchers. They have created a video game that allows all of us to play this game. And they have people 6 to 96 playing this game. And when you play the game, you're actually analyzing real Alzheimer's data. So check out stallcatchers.com. So with no further ado, let me introduce you to our guest today, Kayla Schaefer. And she is a board certified music therapist and received her master's in, in music therapy from the University of Minnesota. And she is the co-founder of Keynote Music Therapy. And she works to advocate for the profession of music therapists and through clinical practice in services, presentations, and conversations. And I'm really excited because I super believe in the power of music. I saw it from my own eyes with, with my mother and, and her journey of dementia. So welcome, Kayla. How are you doing today? Thank you, Lori. I'm doing great today. I'm so excited to get to talk to you about music therapy. Yeah, I am too. This is just, it's one of those topics that, you know, it, it's something we use every day, but people don't really realize the power behind it. They don't, you know, we, we take so much in life for granted um, as a whole, I think. And music is one of those things that it can calm us down, it can lift us up, you know, and it can make us cry as well. And once we tune into that, and you guys, have gone through all this schooling to really get to know the specifics of it, um, which some you'll share with us today in the short time that we have you. Uh, I, I think it'll be life-changing for a lot of people in terms of, of being able to tap into that, that power and that, uh, that calmness and that joy. Now sitting next to you is uh, Carolyn Meyer. And she is also a board-certified music therapist, and she received her Bachelor of Science degree in music therapy from Augsburg University. And Carolyn has implemented music therapy services in a variety of different set settings, from adult day services to preschool to memory care and hospice, children's hospitals, and even the burn recovery camp for children in China. So her mission is to really foster healing and discovery for clients that she engages with. And she takes her skills and her passions to the community as an advocate, both for the population she serves as well as the field of music therapy as well. So welcome, Carolyn, how are you doing today? Good, it's great to be here, Lori, thank you. Well, wonderful. Um, before we get started in our line of question, I always like to ask my guests if they have been personally touched by dementia. And uh, there's no right or wrong answer with that, um, but it's just kind of a nice little background for people to have. And um, so, um, Kayla, have you been personally touched in your own, you know, family or circle of friends by any form of dementia? Um, two of my grandparents both experienced dementia late in their lives. Um, and so I did get to see that firsthand. I was in college and then a young adult when they both died. And, you know, I was there with them along that journey. And of course, I knew them before they had dementia. 
And so still could find ways, but often those ways to connect with them were through music since they knew that was something that was important to me and it was an experience that we had shared throughout my whole life together. I often connected them right up until the very last days of their lives with music. Okay. How about you, Carolyn? Yeah, kind of similar to Kayla. I had a grandparent, a grandpa that had dementia and it was he was a musician as well. He played the accordion and the piano, and it was wonderful to be able to have that, something so wonderful to connect us at, at the end of his life, especially when a lot of his, his um, abilities were, were so, so slim. So I think it was, it was another thing that, like Kayla said, music was something that I associate with my grandfather even at the end of his life. Yeah, it, it, music is really powerful. I know like with my mom when she died, we played one of her favorite songs and um, it was You Are My Sunshine and everybody sang it. And it was like so uplifting on the way out, you know, of the memorial service. Everyone was like, oh, I really, they said a lot of people didn't know my mom. You know, they, they came because they knew family members and they're like, wow, we really, we really feel like we know her now, you know, and part of that was through song. And it was just such a cool, cool um, gift for us as a family to to hear that, um, but for them to receive as well. So uh, I'll just put that in as a plug. Um, it can be a really uplifting thing in a really difficult time sometimes mm-hmm. to be able to use. Um, now, Kayla, can you give us a little background as to the mission of keynote music therapy and uh, in, in why you got it started? Absolutely. So uh Keynote Music Therapy was started in 2015. A colleague of mine, his name's Ben Musburger, and I started the business. At that time, we both were working in adult hospice. And he is not a music therapist, but he, his background is licensed um, marriage and family therapy, as well as grief counseling. And together, we set out to start a business to do a couple of things. One, we wanted to provide a supportive team environment for music therapists because we are often the only one of our kind in places that we work. And so we wanted to provide support for music therapists who might be isolated in our work. Second, we wanted to increase access to music therapy services in our community. As we know, the uh, aging population is growing and the baby boomer generation is about to enter into independent living, assisted living, memory care, etc. So as we, as we, as time has gone by since 2015, we've kind of started to streamline our services more towards older adults with cognitive and memory impairments, whether they live still in their homes with family or caregivers or in residential facilities, assisted living, long-term care, memory care, etc. Um, And we've really started to strengthen that mission in the last couple of years by increasing our services out in the community, offering more group sessions to those facilities and really trying to reach individuals and their caregivers. I think that that's interesting that you wanted to support more music therapists because like you said, you're kind of lone wolves out there and a lot of people don't understand the specialty and the amount of school 
that you guys go through to, to learn these techniques because we're so used to like turn on the radio or plug right. in yeah. plug in a CD and and yeah we can get some of the same effects but we don't understand all of the mechanics that are happening and all of the ways you guys have learned to really leverage it and, and max it out um, is, is pretty incredible. And so I, I find that really interesting. And, and the expansion, I think, is so greatly needed. And, you know, I would love to see um, Medicare and, and, and those and insurance companies come to the plate and say, this is a prescription. Music is a prescription for a healthy life. And, you know, it's a lot cheaper and it's a lot easier on our systems in a lot of ways um, than a lot of the medications and doesn't have near the side effects <laughs> that, that some of the prescriptions and stuff do. But I, I think we're still a ways off, but I'm an advocate of that. If, if uh, anyone wants to start that, I'll, I'll back you up all the way. Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> um, Carolyn, why don't you share with the audience a little bit about types of specific services and, and the various populations that you, you work with with keynote music therapy? Because I think um, sometimes people, you know, I, I know as a speaker, I was told, pick a lane, you got to just pick a lane and stay there. And yet music is used by everybody. So why don't you talk to us about the, the populations and, and the types of services that you have? Yeah, so specifically, I'm out in the field in the community doing the music therapy with residents or people in their homes. So kind of types of services that Keynote offers is we do group sessions as well as individual and family sessions. And kind of moving forward, just to kind of explain that a little more, when we say individual and family sessions, we, we mean that we're, we're always trying to include loved ones and family members, caregivers in our services. So although our we're kind of prioritizing the, the individual and their needs. We're also kind of acknowledging that family system and how important it is. But kind of what I'm doing is I'm going in and doing facilitating these group sessions and kind of how I, my process is I, I take tidbits from the research and, and how, how I learn a little bit about how music affects the brain and how music affects these populations, whether that be in a memory care group or whether that be with an individual with Parkinson's or other mental health needs like depression and anxiety. Um, I specialize pretty, pretty much in older adult populations, but our, our team does see other populations as well. But I'm kind of going in and doing a group and perhaps we're working on physical movement or we're working on cognitive stimulation or reminiscence or um, and we're, we're socially engaging with one another and collaborating or, or just kind of using music to be playful and, and express ourselves. So it looks, it looks a little different depending on the group and their needs and what I'm assessing that, that to be a need in that, in that group setting or, or in the individual setting. But, but overall, kind of I'm pulling from the research. I'm using my skills to be able to um, assess and, and adapt to meet people's needs in the moment. So do you, um, let's say you go into a, a memory care, do you talk with a, the, you know, life enrichment person or social worker, whoever hires you first mm -hmm. to say, what are your needs? And do you kind of scrutinize that first and then tap into your, your skilled resources that you've learned through music therapy? Yeah, that's a really great question. So I'm kind of pulling from a couple different resources. 
like I said, the research, whether that be on dementia and Alzheimer's or music therapy research, I'm communicating with staff. Oftentimes the, the staff that are hands-on with, with the residents are the people that know them quite well. So I'm communicating with them and, and especially if they're sitting in on our group and I'm able to, to communicate what I need and what, I, what I'd like to learn from their residents. Or, and also, like you said, oftentimes we work with enrichment specialists or activities directors and we're connecting with them about what, what their needs are. But I often find that the, the people that are hands-on with these people know them so well and know what they need. And, and then that goes along with my own personal music therapy assessment when I'm doing my groups. And, and I would imagine when you do the groups, you got to be a little bit flexible because you never know how everyone's showing up that day or in that exactly. moment or whatever. Yeah, well, that's kind of the beautiful thing about our training and our, our education is that we're able to adapt in the moment and be able to meet everyone's individual goals and needs. And, and sometimes that means I come in with a plan and I do something completely different. And that, that happens quite often, but it's so important to be able to to support people is by being adaptable and versatile. So when you come in, um, are you just, you know, singing to them? Are you using instruments? Or is that something that they get involved in doing? How does, how does that play out? And I would imagine there's various forms and, and things that you do with that. Yeah. So for my group specific sessions, oftentimes I'm, just really trying to get them oriented this, to the space to start off, whether that be with a song such as Hail, Hail, the gang's all here, and we're all sharing that musical experience and get every, getting everyone engaged and, and feeling safe in the space. And then oftentimes I'll go into some sort of really engaging physical movement and using a, a song with strong rhythm and maracas or tambourines or instruments, and we're actively making music together to to some of the songs that they know well. And then oftentimes I'll, I'll kind of switch into maybe something a little more cognitively stimulating, socially engaging, where maybe we're, we're sharing a memory about a certain song or we're, we're chatting together about um, a theme or, or a musical idea. And then oftentimes I kind of transition out with a goodbye song and saying um, kind of a, that social piece of, of saying goodbye to one another and to me. And, Again, the groups look so different depending on the day and the needs, but oftentimes we're making music together, we're socially sharing memories and reminiscing, and, but the, the options are, are limitless, so we do a lot of different things. So you bring in some instruments for them to actually play then? Yep, yeah, oftentimes I'll bring in kind of handheld instruments like tambourines, shakers, drums, kind of things that that prompt them and kind of help organize their brain to be able to move to the rhythm and to be able to move their bodies, dance, all those different things that they love. Okay. And, and I've heard some will bring in like scarves or even the noodles that we use for swimming to wave yeah. and hop around and yeah. things. Um, it, it's kind of, it seems endless to the possibilities of what can be done. Um, yeah. Do you encourage them to like ever do like because again, I'm sure you get people at different levels, but maybe if you've got one person who really likes to sing to come up and, and stand and sing with you and kind of perform, or is it, are you more performing to them? So I think, did you, did you have something? Yeah, so I think that oftentimes if, if that's someone's 
goal of their needs is to to um, kind of have that that sharing of their voice or having that emotional expression. Yeah, definitely sharing that with one another. But oftentimes we try to see it as more of a process oriented practice. So we're we're really emphasizing the benefits of the process and how we're we're working together and we're collaborating and and making music and moving our bodies and all those different things versus more of entertainment. So we kind of try to educate our staff that we work with and also just the community in general that we're we are different than entertainment and we are trying to to share music that um that will benefit our the clients we work with in a way that's that's different than just kind of singing to them or just performing for them because we're again like we mentioned before adapting in the moment to meet those individualized needs Okay, so on, a, on an individual one-on-one, -on -one, is the process different for you then, or not? Yeah, did you want to share a little bit about individual? Sure. I would say it's similar and different for individual sessions. We can really have the ability to dig a little deeper on preferences, on um, specific interests or abilities when we have individual and family sessions. So we really get to know someone's specific musical preferences. We know from the literature that um, patient or client preferred music is the most effective for music therapy sessions. And in a group, we might be more general in picking music from a certain era, or as Carolyn mentioned, maybe a specific theme or a time of year. But in an individual session, I would really get to know that person through conversation with them or their family or looking around the room sometimes if they're nonverbal, learning what I can about them, maybe about their um, background if they're, if they're Irish and have a particular interest in Irish music or if that's important to their identity. Um, many times the music from a person's 20s and early 30s is the music that they really are connected to because they had the strongest emotional connection to that music. Um, that's the time of life when people are often starting out in their careers or starting families. And so the emotional response to that music is the strongest. And that's where a music therapist has the background and training to really handle that emotional response. Uh, you mentioned earlier that music can be uplifting. It can also be incredibly intense. Um, and bring out really intense responses and emotions. And if someone is um, nonverbal or, or doesn't have the ability any longer to verbalize very much, it can be a really powerful experience for them. And as a music therapist, we have the skills to help them handle that emotion and transition to it or from it as they can and want to. And that's another way that, that we're different than entertainment. Okay. Can you give us, um, because uh, people who aren't familiar with music therapists, I mean, I've seen you guys in action and, um, and, uh, or seen music therapists in action. I haven't seen you, you two in particular. And it is, it is quite amazing, but uh, people will wonder, well, what do you mean by transition? What is, what's going on? And so you're, cause you can actually change behaviors and reactions, um, in terms of people's moods and, and just general responses um, through through the rhythm uh, of the music and stuff. So can you go into a little bit more detail on that for those that, 
that don't understand. And I, I understand like this much of it, you know, but I, I see it and I know it works. And that's yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. That is the beauty of music therapy and how we advocate is seeing is believing in mm -hmm. many cases. And once people see it, they believe in it and they want it more. And that's honestly how we do a lot of our advocacy work mm -hmm. is by come to come see a session and then people see it and they see the response that people have to it mm -hmm. and want more of it. But to answer your question, I'll get a little bit technical for a second and I'll kind of describe an, in, a technique that we use from the literature. It's called the ISO principle. So exactly what you just described, this is the mechanism behind it. It's the, the idea is that we use the music to match someone's physiologic state. So if um, I enter um, a client's room and I can see that they're very agitated, they are having a really bad day and they're breathing quickly and maybe they're um, even displaying some tremors, I am not going to enter and start playing lullaby style music in that moment. And if you think about it, listeners in your own lives, if someone tells you when you're very upset, if they say, just calm down, <laughs> it's the exact <laughs> same way, <laughs> right? It just nope. makes you more angry. And so what we do is we actually use, maybe we know a preferred song. Um, ideally, we would if it's an individual session and we would play the song in the style that we're seeing them display. So we might take a slow song, let's say it's amazing grace but we might start really fast with a with a upbeat accompaniment pattern for example and then they'll they'll often their attention will turn to the music is it something new different oh i noticed that something changed in my environment and as we notice that change and if we start to see any changes in their body or their breathing we change the music accordingly and this really does work. We meet someone where they are and then we try to help them get to a comfortable place. Oftentimes the, the goal is not to get them to go to sleep, for example, we just want them to feel more calm and less agitated, right? So we might then slow down the music and it really does work. It is amazing to see and it can be amazing for us to yeah. even experience when we know why it works, <laughs> but it really, it really does and the, the literature supports it yeah i i saw that with my mom you know um i had a couple of friends and they weren't music therapists but one was a videographer and one was a singer guitarist and they were gonna um kind of gift me an hour worth of of their time and i still on my youtube channel i have those music videos and i can now and she's been gone five years I can have the worst day, uh, you know, and just like, oh, I don't know how I'm going to get through this day, you know, and you just think, you know, it's just terrific, you got deadlines all over, whatever's going on, and I can go watch one of those videos, and I, she, she just melts my heart, because I know how joyful she was in the moment, and, you know, you see the even in the end stages, you, you saw the hands going and the toes start pumping and the smile and the glint in the eye. And it, and then, you know, she would maybe doze off because she'd get tired and then they'd pull her back out again through music and she'd come, she, it was, you know, it's kind of like that um, alive inside, you know, the videos that show the, the power of music. And, and I know a lot of times you can't share photos because of HIPAA and all of that stuff but there's 
you know, if you just open your eyes and you watch for it, it's there. I mean, if you just even pay attention to yourself in terms of how you are breathing and, and you know, where do you hide when you're feeling stress? What calms you down? Uh, you know, we tap into these things on a very unconscious level. And you guys, well, Akil, how long do you have to go to school? I know it's like amazingly, I mean, it's a lot of schooling to get through this whole process. Um, why don't you, can you share a little background on that, you, you or, or Carolyn? Because I think that will shock people too. So all music therapists have a degree in music therapy. And that can be, it's many times a four-year bachelor's degree, specifically in music therapy. I took a bit of a different path because I had a bachelor's degree in music education. And there is a path to getting a master's degree in music therapy that kind of combines some of that undergraduate coursework plus some of the graduate coursework so you don't have to start from scratch with your music courses. Um, so I have a master's, but you can practice at either level. So there are courses in anatomy and physiology, in psychology, abnormal psychology, counseling skills, in addition to the academic degree that is music. Mm -hmm. um, in addition to the coursework, we have um, around 1,200 hours of clinical, supervised clinical work throughout that. And that includes a thousand hour internship at the end of the coursework. So that's about six months of full-time unpaid supervised clinical hours <laughs> that our students, <laughs> that, that we both completed. Mm -hmm. um, but it's really where you learn how to apply all of your schooling and all of the coursework. I, I was surprised, and I think so many people are because they think, well, it's just a natural talent, you know, that, that people have, and it just, it just happens, and it's like, well, yeah, we can all, you know, we can all make a difference, you know, picking out a song and stuff, but again, we don't understand the depths of why it works. We just know it, it does, um, but we also don't know how to change things, and so if you've got somebody who's really agitated, it sounds like you kind of start out with a beat that's that's equal to, to whatever their pace is and then you gradually slow it down. Is that it? And yeah. switch yeah. it over. Mm -hmm. um, Carolyn, have you, um, I guess when you first started, um, what amazed you the most? And maybe it was even during your internship, but I'm sure both of you had those moments of, wow, I knew this worked, but this really works. Yeah, I think we're, they often say that music is magic. And although that it appears to be that way, we know that there's so much going on in our brains when we experience music. And so that's having that knowledge and going in and seeing things, it's still amazing, but it's also amazing to know that how much our neurons are firing and connecting and doing all this amazing thing, all these amazing things. But I think when I started just, just kind of even, even the sheer, sheer kind of engaging factor of music going into my first couple memory care groups and just seeing how music just kind of engages people so quickly, I think is, is quite amazing. You can have people that I think of one of my first couple groups, a woman who is, extremely agitated in the moment and she was um, yelling and, and just really you could tell she was under a lot of stress and when I was started to to sing 
it was you are my sunshine, I believe, she was able to just really make eye contact with me, have this moment of, of rapport and building social, social experiences and, and just able to engage with me. And again, I think I used the ISO principle like Kayla was saying, where I was doing it at a faster tempo, but just the motivating factor of music is, is really exciting because we, we are able to use that in such a healing way. Mm -hmm. I can think of an example during one of my practicum experiences. So those experiences are um, interlaced with the coursework. So I was still a, a student and I was at a long-term care community doing a group in memory care. And the theme was on travel. And I had a woman in my group who I had met previous weeks during my experience there. Um, but today she was sitting and she appeared to be asleep. She had her head down. Her daughter was next to her the whole time trying to wake her up and get her to like sing mom, <laughs> sing mom. And you Which know, happens I, a lot. <laughs> yeah, it happens a lot. And I understand that mm -hmm. like really that hope and wish that mom's going to wake up and sing. But that day she hadn't been. And at the very, I was transitioning to the end of the group. And I said, many times when we travel, we're excited to get home. I think we should finish with show me the way to go home. And immediately she went from head down to head straight up and sang, show me the way to go home. I'm tired. I don't want to go again. <laughs> she sang it, the whole song fast by herself. <laughs> and her daughter just started weeping, you know, because we all realized in that moment that she had been with us the whole time. Mm -hmm. She had been listening the whole time and just, didn't want to engage in the other parts the way her daughter wanted her to. But then at the very end, she sang our closing goodbye song for us. And it was, I'll never forget that moment because, and I bet her daughter won't either. You know, that was such a moment of connection. Mm -hmm. And the other group members also, I think, realized, oh, we, we can't discount this person. They're still here. They're mm -hmm. still with us, even if they aren't sitting up looking like me in this moment. Yeah, and, and it might be that she didn't want to, or it might be that her body just couldn't, mm -hmm. you know? yes. but, you know, they kind of pull those reserves in, and mm -hmm. I, I witnessed that multiple times with my mom's journey, and it would be, um, I, I always say those, those moments, they are, they're so profound, I mean, and they're so deep and they're, and they're small, simple little things, but they're really the things that matter to us in, in the long run. And, and what a gift, you know, what a gift for everybody and how, how you said it affects the daughter, but it really affected the whole room because everybody, everybody takes notice of yeah. that. And um, now one thing I wanted to ask you was, it, can people benefit from both individual and group experiences um, or is that is uh, do you think they're one or the other I think they absolutely can benefit from all types of music therapy experiences group and individual or family sessions um, as we've mentioned before um, a group might be focused on different domains throughout the maybe an hour-long group. We're working on movement, we're working on songwriting, memory recall, life review, but an individual session really can be focused on that personal goal. It might be helping them decrease agitation. It might be working with the family on how they can use music to help decrease agitation, or even working with the family on how they can use music 
for their own self-care because we know that can be draining and tiring and complicated as well. Do you have any examples of working with both? I think of one example where I, I saw a gentleman both in the group setting and in an individual family setting as well. And what I thought was pretty great about, about that experience was obviously in, in our group sessions, he was really engaged and, and I was able to work on some of those group goals and, and see him really motivated by music. But then when I was able to meet with him and his wife on an individual basis, I learned that he played guitar and he used to be in a band and I, I just was able to connect with him and his family and just learn a little bit more about his musical background that I might not have gotten that information in a group setting. And so that I think that's a really, that was a really great experience and we were able to actually kind of help him. He had some motor um, difficulties, but we were able to kind of adapt a guitar for him to be able to continue playing guitar as well. And so that was another kind of a resource that I, I was able to support the family with and, and give them this um, resource that they could use when I'm there and also when I wasn't present as well. So that was a really, really wonderful experience. Cool. Um, what what in terms of family family groups? Can you give us some um, or family sessions? Can you give us some examples? Do, is that like special occasions, or people just look at it as a therapy thing and come together? Um, how, how how is that done, or is it a mixture? I think it is a mixture, but it is often um, a type of therapy that we can invite others to participate in. Whereas maybe other traditional therapies like physical therapy, it's not going to be a group family exercise class typically. I don't know why it couldn't be, but it probably <laughs> isn't. <It's pretty> fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, but music therapy, often we find that family members want to come. They want to be a part of it. They, they will engage. They will sing with their loved mm -hmm. one. They'll sing to their loved one. That's always the dream. And we can help facilitate that happening. Um, and so many times I will tell you that someone will share a memory or a response to a song and their family will say, I didn't know that. I never heard that before. Mm -hmm. I had no idea that that song was played at your wedding. And so they're still learning new things about each other, which is my very favorite yeah. outcome of music therapy is that all the way to the end of someone's life, they can still be teaching each other and they can be learning from each other and sharing new memories and old ones. Well, that's cool. I remember when, uh, when this, these gals came uh, for my mom and my mom sang a song and I think it was called Jibber Jabber. I had never heard the song and the, and the person was like, oh yeah, it's a really old song. My mom just lit up, just lit <laughs> up. And then and then she loved that I didn't know it. I mean, you could see the pride in that, and that, yeah. and it was just a, it was just really kind of an, an amazing, amazing process. Now, you guys have a product called Keynote Keepsake. Um, Kayla, can you tell us a little bit about that and who who would benefit from from that product and why? Yeah. So I think anyone at any time in their life would benefit from this project because every one of us in this moment has a story to tell and a legacy that we will leave behind. Um, so most of our work as music therapists is very process oriented as we've discussed today. 
But the keynote keepsake is an actual tangible product that can take many forms. And I'll give some examples of keepsakes that I've done with clients in the past. Um, one, a, a couple of my favorites. One was a woman wanted to record with me an album of favorite songs from her life. She was hesitant to sing along with me, but her voice is audible on some of the tracks. So we recorded it together. I was sitting right next to her during that process, but she really wanted to be a part of the liner notes. So she would dictate and tell me the stories that, that accompanied each of the songs and why they were important to her. And so we created this album with the printed liner notes and gave a copy to all of her family members as a gift. Yeah, and that album was played at her service at her funeral. And I was there providing live music as well. And I could see different family members light up when they heard a song that they were part of that story. That was a wonderful one. Something totally different. I had another a client who wanted to write an original composition. She had no previous experience in songwriting, so that's not a requirement. But she had a great sense of humor and she wanted to write a funny song about getting old. And so she <laughs> was the lyricist and she made all the musical decisions. And that song was also played at her funeral. And, you know, people really connected with her through that song. And then another example was a woman wanted to tell her life story. She wrote it all down. She did a video recording. We recorded specific music to be in the background when she um, also wanted to include some photos and videos so that she could give that as a gift to her grandchildren. So the keynote keepsake can be anything really, but we utilize multimedia. Um, it could be a, a creative arts intervention. It could be really whatever someone wants it to be, but it's really designed to be a product. Like you mentioned the video you have of you and your mom, that's an ongoing gift that we can provide for families. It just keeps on giving. It would be nice, and, and I don't know if, if you guys would ever feel comfortable in approaching some of your people, but if they would ever be willing to share those, because I think it would entice other people to do it, because hearing it's one thing, but seeing it, it really is magical. Yes. I, mean, I have walked in um, to huge conferences where I'm going to speak, and my mom's on the screen. Somebody else has her pulled up you know, as an example for, you know, music. And I, I remember the first time it happened, you know, somebody said, oh, I'm so sorry, I should have asked. And I'm like, it's on YouTube. It's, no, it's, it's a set. This is, the, this is the whole point. My mom would love to know she's helping somebody else step into that, mm -hmm. you know. And so um, just, a, just a thought um, that, it, and plus it gives that person a, a little bit of a legacy too, in terms of, of living on, you know, forever. And, you know, as a family member for myself, and I, again, everyone's not like me, but it just gives me great pride, you know, like when I would walk in and see that, that this is helping others, you know, it was just like, oh, you know, this was good for us, but it's good for others as well. And really, really powerful. Um, but I think, again, being able for people to, to physically be able to hear and see Mm -hmm. you know what it is um and and maybe even getting some responses from family members or you know the person who you were working with on how it made them feel to produce that um those testimonies i think would be just fabulous um, to, to really help 
push that, push yeah. the product out. Mm -hmm. And, um, and you can tell them I said so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, when should, when should family start thinking about music therapy for a loved one? I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's not on the list that you get from the doctor typically. And a lot of people don't even know that this exists because you don't, you don't know what you don't know, um, until you just kind of happen to trip across it. So when should people, you know, start, um, start thinking about this? And I don't know if, if Carolyn, if you want to take this one. I mean, we, we say whenever we support music therapy at any stage of life, but oftentimes we do see it more towards end of life. And, and we're kind of trying to advocate and educate to earlier than that, because as we know, music therapy is, is really beneficial for symptom management and, and just, a lot of different other benefits that we see as we've talked about today that music therapy can help people with. So we, we say anytime, but we understand that sometimes the, that people don't know about music therapy until, until these, these different moments. But, and I think yeah. earlier you asked uh, when, you know, can someone benefit from group and individual? And I think sometimes we've come across families who know that their loved one is getting music therapy services in a group uh, at the resident that, residence that they live at. But that doesn't mean that they can't also provide music therapy for their loved one on an individual basis. Mm -hmm. or contract with that same business. We're often open to doing that. Um, and we've really tried to connect with families of the residents at the places that we serve so that we can educate them on, yes, things that we're doing in groups, but also ways that we can impact their loved one individually in their unique needs. Yeah, I know when my mom was in the nursing home and we'd have somebody come in and, and uh, play for my mom and things. And then it was, it, everyone would just kind of come around the door. I mean, the music just, it, it attracts people. So, you know, we started moving it out of her room and mm -hmm. in so that everybody could enjoy it. And my mom got great pride in that too. Yeah. You know, yeah. and so yeah. that, that was kind of neat. Yeah, yeah, it really, it was very, very, very cool. Um, Carolyn, can you talk about symptoms management in a little bit more in depth and uh, maybe give some examples of that as well and how that works? Yeah, so a lot of time, I can think of an example of how um, oftentimes when people are at, at nearing end of life, we see a lot of uh, comorbid mental health needs like anxiety and depression. And that's why we just advocate for us being a part of these people's lives early on. And we're, so we're able to kind of process that with them before, before that, that time. And so I think we often advocate for that. But other types of symptoms that we often address are um, that go along with um, conditions like Parkinson's. We see tremors and kind of those, those difficulties with physical movement. And so if we're able to, to be a part of that person's healing and their, their symptom management early on, then we can kind of uh, allow them their symptoms to be managed throughout their, throughout their lifespan. And I think being able to, again, have that motivating quality of music to be able to do that and be, build that rapport with people. So is really, we see that really a beneficial thing in treating their symptoms. 
Okay. Now I've heard, um, it, you know, just for some specific, I guess, uh, reactions and symptoms, but I've heard music therapists use to kind of help people even eat, kind of get in the mood to eat when they've been tired or to maybe sleep when they're constantly moving and, and agitated. Have you, uh, have you worked with those two specific scenarios? I think with kind of those activities of daily life, like you were saying, we can definitely be involved in them as, as needed. Oftentimes with, with keynote, we're not always, you know, there at those specific times unless we're asked, but I could definitely see um, music being a beneficial uh, outlet for someone during those times. So I think sometimes we're even though programmed, so we might be um, on a, on a memory care schedule at a certain time for exactly those reasons. Yeah, that's true. So maybe we're right before lunch because that's a way to transition mm -hmm. from maybe mid-morning nap to more wakeful state and you're ending with something more engaging and so people are more awake and like you said, at the more of an energy level where they can eat. Um, Mid-afternoon can be a really challenging time mm -hmm. for older adults, we know. And so we're often asked to provide groups during that three to four, four thirty time as well to help with that transition from day to evening that we know can be agitating. And even I think some of the facilities that I'm at, I'm at a time where they're kind of at the end of maybe that those pain medication or those those medications, and and I'm able to kind of support them and their what they're experiencing as their kind of their their medication wears off. So I think that I think about that too. The timing of that is important. Interesting. Yeah, I, I, I just find it um, so interesting. I remember, uh, again, I go back to the stories of my mom, and uh, talking with the administrator about, um, I wanted some changes made in the bathrooms and stuff just from, you know, regular showers to rain shower heads and stuff. And you know, he was asking me what else, and I, you know, talked about color and heated towel bars and stuff like that, and the last thing I said, I said, I don't know if you can do this one, but if you can get your staff to sing their songs mm -hmm. during the shower and pump that music in there, mm -hmm. I just think that would really alleviate a lot of the stress and the anxiety that happens during that grooming period, and he just kind of laughed, and 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 yet understood, you know, with aromatherapy and lighting, and I mean, there's there's so many different aspects, but um, you know, music can be used in so many different ways, and we just have to get creative in terms mm -hmm. of of understanding it more. So I really appreciate you guys taking taking the time to talk about the actual, you know, kind of science behind all of this, because most of us just think, hey, it's a great song you know, it makes me feel good, or oh, brings tears to my eyes, or, you know, whatever, um, but we just, we don't think about the emotional connections, and, and why, why that's happening to us, and, and how our body is reacting. Um, Kayla, what kinds of resources do you offer to communities in, in general? Um, can you just kind of summarize that for us? Yeah, absolutely. So actually, what you just mentioned about talking with staff about singing during grooming. Um, we actually, one of the long-term care chains that we provide music therapy for, our music therapist does monthly in-services for the staff there on how they can use music. Yeah. 
um, how they can use music as a therapeutic tool during meal times, you know, considering music choice during those times or during transitions to and from rooms or even how the staff can use music for their own well-being and self-care. Um, another way is we are often asked to be guest speakers at support groups for for people with specific diagnoses, yes, but also for caregivers. And same idea, training them, teaching them about music therapy, yes, but also ways that they can use music intentionally for themselves and their loved ones. And that's nice, because I, I have to be honest, and I, I've dealt with some music therapists that didn't want the average doe to tap into music. And I love that you're teaching people, you know, and it, granted, you know, we're not gonna get what you guys have learned in the in the time frame, but we can still leverage it and help the situation and complement what you're doing. And, I, and I, to me, I think that that's a really, really important piece because while you're educating us on just the general use, you are also educating us on the skill set that you have and the therapeutic value behind it. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, how how we can you know, we can kind of start it off but you can bring it to a whole nother level and i think that that's a very very important important piece so i'm i'm thrilled to hear that one of the larger communities is really starting to embrace that because i have pushed that for years and um, think that that's just really important um carolyn is there anything that we haven't covered that you'd like to like to mention I think kind of what you were just saying that our goal at Keynote is to just to, to share what we know and to educate people and support not only the people we're working with, but their loved ones and their caregivers. We know what music can do for people and we want to be able to empower people to use it. And not only when we're in the room, but when, when we're out of the room as well. And that's just what's, what our mission is and how, how we kind of see our, our services. Well, and again, it's just, it's so powerful to, to be able to educate people on what you're doing and why you're doing it and, um, and, and how we, because, you know, we're just lost souls out here trying to figure out how to make somebody feel as comfortable as possible mm -hmm. when it comes to dementia. And, um, you know, any, anything we can add to our toolkit is, um, is just a gift to us. And so really appreciate, appreciate that effort very much. Um, Kayla, how about you? Anything that, that we didn't cover that we should have covered? We covered a lot of topics today. And if anybody ever has the opportunity to see music therapy in action, I will reaffirm that that is what helps people understand it. It's hard for us to sit here and describe it. Yeah. It's hard to, even if we were demonstrating to you right now, it's hard for people to understand the true immediate response that we can sometimes see. So if you get the chance to see it in action, I would encourage you to do so. Yeah, I, I would too. And um, I'll just throw a plug in for the Alive Inside movie. Again, that's not music therapy, but it'll it'll show what the average Joe can do with music, mm -hmm. and and the benefits that it can take. And um, I, and I think that that's uh, insightful because you you see a person react, and these are people from post traumatic stress to dementia to psychosis, all kinds of different situations, and and you you can't miss 
the difference. I mean, you can't, if you're watching it, there's no way you cannot not see it. Mm -hmm. And, and you, you see it not only in the person, but, you know, you see the whole room change, you know, kind of like when you were mentioning the, the woman who, you know, slept through everything. And then she sang that last song and I want to go home. You can't miss it. And everybody notices how powerful that is and how important that is and makes us all think, how do we incorporate that more? How do we bring out those moments of joy and connection? And that's, that's um, just incredible. So our, our listeners can contact you via email by going to info at keynotemn.com. That's info at keynotemn.com. Or you can always call. And that number is uh, 612-200-3284. 612 232.84. And of course, don't forget to check out their website, and that is www.keynotemn.com. Um, well, thank you again, ladies. This has been a wonderful, wonderful conversation, and I think people will find this very beneficial. And again, um, it just gives us hope, and we all need more hope, and we need to be able to to see the connections that, that we're still able to have. And I think sometimes the disease can take that away from us or we allow that to be taken away from us. But when you, when you see that magic happen, even though any um, magician will say, well, it really wasn't magic. I have a process back here just like you guys do. To the rest of us, it's just magical and it's beautiful and, and that's okay. Um, as long as we have gifted people like you to uh, to show us the magic, we don't have to necessarily know all the ins and outs. We just know we we enjoy the end game with it and being able to appreciate it. So, thank you for all you're doing and spreading the word. And really appreciate you um, taking this time with us on Alzheimer Speaks today. Thank you so much, Lori. We really enjoyed talking with you. For our listeners, again, please uh, share and like and, and spread the word of this. This is something that, that more people need to really understand. And hopefully this conversation will help. And now you have a resource to grab a hold of and, and learn even more. Bye now. We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on local now, channel 525. 